0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I started reading a little book the other day, and I got to the introduction, and the author was saying in his introduction that if he was stranded on a desert island and could only take three books with him, the three books that he would take were Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, the Bible, and the Book of Common Prayer. I thought, well, that's really precious, isn't it? You know, it's the three good books to take on a desert island. And I've got to think about it for myself. Uh, Dostoevsky, good choice. The Bible, yes. But I wouldn't take a prayer book. I wouldn't take the Book of Common Prayer for a couple of reasons. First, I know most of the services by heart. I mean, I... I wouldn't need it because I don't really need to look at it. You know, I could I would have this order for Holy Communion. I know morning prayer and evening prayer. I can even do Compline pretty much. So um, I would have those services in my head. I don't think I would take the book. Besides, it has, you know, a whole Psalter and I would duplicate it. I would have that in my Bible. I'd miss my prayer book. I use it every day. But if you only get three, you know, I'm not taking it with me. It's stuck in my head already. Thank goodness. So I, I wouldn't take it. And I thought about this fellow who's writing, and I don't mean to be critical. I hate to be critical. In fact, I don't think he would either. I think if he thought about my reasoning, he'd probably agree with me. And I'm not sure what my three books would be. I mean, you'd have to take a Bible, right? Thank you for nodding, Bob. You've got to nod with this one, right? You have to assent to the Bible. If you don't, see me after church. We have to talk a little bit, all right? So you have to take a Bible. That's number one, Dostoevsky. Wow, you could you could do a lot worse, you know. So, *Crime and Punishment*—good book to take along. But what would your third book be? Lewis's *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*—be pretty good one. Hemingway's—you know—*Farewell um, uh, to Arms*—perhaps. Maybe you're a little freaky. You want to take a little Anne Rice—you know—*Interview with a Vampire*. You know, you're weird like that. I'm okay with that. I don't know. You—you'd have your third book, and I'm not sure what it is. We all have them, but probably not the Book of Common Prayer. Again, it's not. A, I'm against the Book of Common Prayer. I take it with me all the time. I mean, if I'm going on a trip, if I'm going out of the country or or out of the state or wherever, you know, it's in my suitcase. If I'm on a long motorcycle trip and be going, to, you know, it's in my saddlebags. I take it with me all the time, but I'm not taking it to a desert island. I might take N.T. Wright's um, Jesus and the Victory of God. I'm reading it now. It's a fantastic book. About 700 pages in a tiny little 10-point font. Okay? And so it takes me at least three times of reading him before I ever understand what he's saying. That's 2,100 pages, you know, before I ran out of... uh, So here I'm taking Tom Wright. The Bible. Dostoevsky. Those are my books. I wouldn't take the prayer book because in some ways it might be redundant and if it's redundant it's superfluous and i thought about the way that people sometimes look at other people the way that they're redundant and superfluous the way our world looks at people as if they don't matter they're not needed they're extra in our world there's no there's no such thing as a person who's redundant who's superfluous who's not needed all people matter and yet, it seems that we are so easy, especially in our Western culture, to dispense with human interaction and human contact. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was telling you, uh, maybe last week, that, that our son Nicholas left for Oregon. He's gone for you know six months at least. Who knows when? I'll probably hear from him in Fiji or something like that later in the year. You know he's gone. And so on his last day here, he had some errands to run. He had been packing up this little truck, you know. He going through his record collection and taking the ones he couldn't live without leaving the rest in my den. Thank you very much. Uh going through his junk, um taking what he had to have and leaving the rest in my garage. Uh you know, you know they do, right? And so he's he's packing up his stuff and then on the last day, dad, I have some errands run. I got I have to go here and here and I said, "Let me go with you." You know, uh, last day here, I'll spend some time with you. So together we go to Walmart. You, you ever go there? I mean, they have everything. They have camping supplies and dog food and antifreeze and, and food. I mean, they've got, so there we are. We're shopping. We're getting all this stuff. And we get to the checkout, and we notice that there's, the, you know, there's nobody in line at the, at the self-checkout. You know, the one where you scan stuff for yourself. So, yeah, we're going to go right through that. I, as I, as a rule, stay away from the self-checkout. I think it's good to have human interaction and contact, and so I I try not to use that one, but we're in a hurry, you know. And so we go through there. We left the Walmart store, and I had to get gas in the car, so I pull into the filling station. Did anybody call it filling station besides me? We go to the filling station, and I I pull in there and and jump out. And, of course, you know, I pay with a credit card right there at the pump, you know, slide it in and out, pump the gas, jump back in the car, and there we go. Remembered I had to stop at the post office to um, to mail out a package. And so I stop at the post office, and I go in. There's this long line at the the post office. But as luck would have it, the kiosk was completely empty. And so I walk up to the kiosk, and I put my little package on there and slide my credit card in and push little things on the touch screen. And in just a couple minutes, I had a label printed out, stuck it on the box, put it in the little slot. Wham, we're out of out of the post office. Whereupon I remembered that I had forgotten something at the store I needed for supper, so we had to stop at the Acme store. So we stop at the Acme store, and I go in, and we get what we need, and we're coming back out, and uh, as we're going through the checkout line, there they all are, but except for the self checkout, <laughs> nice and empty. And there I was, slipped right in there once again, and and I left. I went to five places: two stores, gas station, post office, and what was the other one? I forget. So we, yeah, that's where we went. And so we, we, all three of these places, all five of these places. I mean. And, and not one time did I have to have interaction with another human other than my son. He, of course, pointed this out to me later and said, you know, it we just went right through those things and didn't even... Machines replacing people. We read about this long, long ago. It was going to happen. And here it is right upon us. I thought about the priest machine, you know. What would that be like? <laughs> mm. Yeah, a little, a little robotic boy, sort of like Siri over here giving him a sermon, you know. It's kind of scary to think of how many... Pl- now, of course, you say, they're not really replacing humans. These machines break, and it takes humans to fix them. They can't fix themselves. Yet, you know, here they are, all these machines that are coming into place. People becoming more and more superfluous. In the gospel, Jesus is in an upper room. It's a Passover meal. He's sharing it with his friends and he's about—he's telling them that he's about to die. He's, he's kind. He does it like you would do. He doesn't tell them straight out in a, in a very frontal way, I'm going to die. What he says is where I'm going, you cannot follow me. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to the Father. Yet in a little while the world will not see me. All these sort of cryptic statements that aren't too cryptic. If you just pay attention, tomorrow I die is really too harsh of a thing to say, isn't it? And so he says them in a little softer, gentler way. And I think the disciples are really troubled by these. They're troubled because Jesus is going to die an untimely death. But even more than that, they're troubled because they don't know what they're going to do. They have built their whole life around him. And now he's going to die and leave them Alone in the world, what are we going to do? That's why the whole conversation begins in John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I think they say, are you kidding me? Of course our hearts are troubled. How could they not be troubled? You just told us four times you were going to die. How are we not supposed to be troubled by that? I would be troubled by that. How could I live without Jesus I mean I could live without my prayer book but I don't think I could live without Jesus, I know I couldn't and yet you're saying to me but Joe you know you have never actually had any personal contact with Jesus unless you're celebrating your 2000th birthday, neither have you you know no personal one to one contact look at the text with me will you if you have your bulletin, look at it with me. The, the very beginning, John fourteen fifteen. It's the very first verse in the gospel lesson. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. Jesus tells his friends, I'm going to make a request to God on your behalf. I'm going to ask for another advocate. Another comforter, some translations used to have it. I'm going to ask for another to come alongside of you. Now, in the language that John wrote, it's called Koine Greek, Common Greek, the Greek, the, the, the language of commerce. It was to the ancient world what English is to our, our modern world. Is the language that everybody had to use if they were going to exchange money around, around the Mediterranean Sea basin, uh, what we would call the, the civilized world. In that language, and in, in Koine Greek, there are two words for another. One is Alon, and the other is Heteros. Alon and Heteros. Now, Alon means another of the same sort. Um, Leon Morris says this, it's another of the same kind, while Heteros means another of a different kind. Or uh, Alon means just like this one, while Heteros means another of a different sort. I, I, I thought about it first, it would be sort of like saying um, chocolate or vanilla, but that's not even it. Um Elan would be, you know, uh, vanilla or French vanilla, another of the same kind. Or another scoop, maybe even better better said. Whereas heteros would be, do you want chocolate pudding or vanilla ice cream? They're completely different. The word that Jesus uses here is elan. He will send you another of the very same kind. Another comforter of the very same... Leon Morris says this, listen to this. Jesus tells his disciples that his bodily presence was about to be withdrawn from them. Never again would they know the warm, intimate companionship of the days of his earthly ministry. But this does not mean they will be left bereft. Another, capital A, will be with them. Who is this? Who is this other? Who is this another one? The spirit of truth, he says, right? the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him nor sees him nor knows him you know him because he abides with you and will be in you neither sees him nor knows him but you know him and he you hear all these pronouns the personality of the spirit of truth the holy spirit is right now alongside of you but he future tense shall be in you, inside of you, of the same substance as Jesus himself. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, I'm going away. I'm going to be gone. And don't you panic. You're going to have another who's just like me, of the same substance. We say it in the Creed, don't we? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified, this one is going to be with you. And he will be not just with you, not just para, which is what he said, with you, alongside of you, but he shall be in you, internally. There are a lot of things the church can do without. I know that we think they're indispensable, but they're not. (laughs) There are a lot of things that we could do without. We could do without vestments. I mean, they're lovely. They, they point to things. They remind us of parts of the seasons of the year. They remind us of the word coming to them. They're so valuable in so many ways, but we could do without them. Pews, pretty comfortable to sit in, aren't they? There are churches that still stand. You could do without them. I know it would be uncomfortable. We could manage, right? We could do, I know, perish the thought, without musical instruments. We could do without candles or choirs. Where a lot of the things... Hey, we could do without clergy. We could survive if none of us was ordained to the... We could still hold the faith together, couldn't we? We could do this. We could still have the Christian faith. We cannot do without the Holy Spirit. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we are an organization. We're a club. We're a gathering. We're not the church. The Holy Spirit is absolutely indispensable. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who lives in us and dwells among us. And it is the Holy Spirit that makes us the church. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we are not the church. And you know what? We've seen a lot of stuff that happens. A lot of what we call heterodoxy in what is supposed to be the church. And the fact is, it's simply an organization bereft of the Holy Spirit. We need Essentially, the Holy Spirit. But what is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in us? Well, there's, a, there's an old um, uh, uh, Thomistic way from Thomas Aquinas of, of defining some things. And some things are best defined via negativa, by what they are not. <laughs> Let me give you a few things that the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues or predicting someone's future. Now, indeed, the Holy Spirit can empower people to speak in other languages, can empower people to to see into the future. The Holy Spirit can indeed do that, but that is not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they're, they're telling you something more than what is true. The Holy Spirit is not synonymous with speaking in tongues and predicting the future. The Holy Spirit is not synonymous with spontaneity. A lot of people think that the Holy Spirit is all about... Changing plans and doing things differently and, and, and changing the organization or the, the flow. That's not the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the Holy Spirit can at times move us to say, No, we were going to do this and we're not going to do that. Um, you know, I remember some time ago a, a, a preacher friend of mine says, You know, sometimes I'm going up to the, to the pulpit and, and my sermon's lying there and I just move off the side. The Holy Spirit moves me to say something else. And I say to him, you know, the Holy Spirit would have to do a pretty big deal for me to move away. I put too much time into that, you know. I expected him to show up on Tuesday when I was translating, not when you know Sunday morning when I'm walking into the pulpit. The Holy Spirit is not just about spontaneity. And if somebody thinks that it's about spontaneity, if somebody thinks the Holy Spirit is sp- about spontaneity, they misunderstand. The Holy Spirit is not about musical style. Or a style of worship. It's not about whether you raise your hand or stand up or shout. All of those are fine things. Raise your hand, stand up and shout if you need to. I'm with you. Nobody will throw you out. I promise. Like, oh, that's a little conning. Hey, we won't. We're good with it. Whatever the Holy Spirit does, we're okay with. But that is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not synonymous with drums. I think he kind of likes them. I don't know. But that's not the same thing. The Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus. We believe in one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus. The manifestation of the Father that lives in the church. That infuses us with life. And so that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our lives are the life of Jesus being lived out in the world. That we are the agents of God to reconcile people to God. That we get to do what Jesus did. We get to be the ones who bring God to people. We are God's agents in the world infused by God's spirit. Hey, we can go to the bank and not meet a person. You can go to the grocery store and pay for your groceries and not have to deal with a person. You can, you can go to the filling station put gas in your car. You can order a pizza online, have it delivered, and send your child to the door to get it. And you never have to see a person, okay? All these things can happen. We can deal with them. Some some occupations may be dispensable. But the Holy Spirit is the indispensable person. We cannot be the church without him. He is our advocate, our counselor, our guide. He is our life. And that's why Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will give you another advocate. He, will, he is with you, and he will be in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.